From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You know, it's good to be back. Thank you for your grace. I've been away and sick the last um, little bit. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to preach at a young adult retreat up in the Muskokas for some Durham youth, and it was a blessed time. And I want you to know, um, by extension, you are a part of that. You know, whenever someone from Parkway goes and serves somewhere else, and it could be anyone, really, um, you are, we are a part of that serving as we minister somewhere, because we're a body. We're not just individuals here getting together for a service. We're a body of believers who've come together. And so um, that was a blessed time. Um, there was re- a really cool uh, thing that happened one uh, Saturday night. The Lord was moving, and uh, many young people were just engaging in this quiet space of, of what the Lord was speaking to them, and then we ended with worship. And then this young adult band erupted in this wild praise that was just, like, super authentic. And it was, you know, it was a multicultural church, and so it, the music was full of there was Caribbean, there was African, there was American, and it was just this medley of music that I stood there, and I'm like, this, is, this has got to be what heaven's a little bit like. Like, it was just unreal, and it was a, it was a blessed time. And, and then I came home, and I got, I got terribly sick. I've been, I've been out sick for the last two weeks, and so I appreciate Pastor Bob, who, who stepped in last week and filled in and, at short notice and the, the prayer, and so that many of you have been praying because it was... It was a hard couple weeks, I'm not going to lie, it was a hard couple weeks, I think I've been the sickest I've been, and even up until Friday night, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand in the pulpit on Sunday morning, and uh, even this morning is, you know, I still have this lingering little bit of a dry cough, and, but I believe God is good, and the, the word must be preached, and I want to share something that God put on my heart um, for us, specifically for us as a church. Um, specific for us for this year. I wrote this, um, I wrote this while I was down and out, and so I feel like what I'm going to share is going to be very distilled, or it's not going to have any circumstance and pop not necessarily attached to it, but just I believe it's a word in season for us. Uh, last year, we named our year the Year of Promise. That was our name for the year. And this year, I wasn't planning on doing that. I didn't come in thinking, we got to find our word or anything like that. But but as I came out of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I was see, you know, we were seeking the Lord's guidance, and, and the Lord gave me a couple different pictures, which I believe were specific to what He was doing in me and specific to what He was doing in us. And the first picture I got, and I shared it with you a few weeks back, was of bubbling lava boiling beneath the surface. If you could imagine with me in your mind's eye, and your imagination. I know some of you have not imagined things for a while, but use that imagination once again. Um, bubbling, boiling lava beneath the surface, breaking the ground because it's so hot. And the, the feeling I got when I had this image come to my mind as, for us as a church is not that this, this lava was destructive, it wasn't destructive lava, but it was passion that was being turned up in the church. Unlike the, often the terminology we use when God is at work, sometimes we'll say God is, is stirring, but that was too soft of imagery for this. This was, this was a bubbling. The Lord was doing something stronger to move our affections. 
And the second uh, picture I got was like God being a pillar of consuming fire. The scriptures say he's a consuming fire. And again, if you can imagine with me, I shared a, a few weeks back, Elijah on Mount Carmel, as he's standing off against the prophets of Baal, he, he, he prepares an altar of sacrifice before the Lord. He douses it with water, and then he prays this simple prayer, very simple prayer. And then it says that fire comes down from heaven, and it consumes the sacrifice that was given. God accepted the offer. And the specific image that I had come to my mind was this, this fire coming down. And the sense that I got was that God was sending a refining fire. And that's something that I couldn't escape. I share again, I shared with it a few weeks back, and as I was traveling, I was praying, and I was, you know, serving some, somewhere else. God kept bringing this back to me, this, this word, refined. Our word for the year, Refined. And if I was not as ill as I was this past week, maybe I would have refined it a little bit and put some nice imagery up and what, what have you, but, but maybe the Lord has refined me in that way as well. I believe the Lord wants to and is going to do a refining work in this church this year. I believe as a collective and as individuals that God is going to refine us for the purpose of maturing in faith and spirit. And so I want to look at this this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and I'll give you a second to get there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some at the back. If you don't own one, we'd love to give you one. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's this nice, easy, free app on uh, devices that you can download called Uversion Bible app. You can open it up. I would love for you to follow along. Malachi chapter 3, it's the last book in the Old Testament. Actually, would you stand with me as I read it? Starting in verse 1, we'll go all, through, all the way through to verse 6. Lord says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I'll come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. It's the word of the Lord. You may sit down. You know, often the Lord has a pathway to take us where he wants us to go. The first is it often begins with a promise. God gives you a glimpse of where he's leading you. Abraham was promised he would be the father of nations. The people of Israel were shown 
the promised land. Gideon was told he was a mighty warrior. David was anointed the next king. Mary was told she would birth the Messiah for the church. It's to be his bride and join him at the great wedding feast as he returns and to enjoy the Lord forever. There's a, there's, a, there's a promise that is given. There's a glimpse of where the Lord is taking you. And secondly is the process to get there. And this is, this is the, where God takes you through the wilderness. He takes you through challenges and he takes you through difficulties. And this is where he refines you. For, is, for Israelites coming into the promised land, it was wandering the wilderness and the conquests of Canaan. For David, it was the challenges running from Saul and the battles he would face. For Joseph, it was being sold into slavery, put in prison, and forgotten. The process is super important because it's the process that gives you the character to handle the promise. It's the process that gives you the character to be able to handle what God has in store for you. Once you navigate through the process... Then comes the promise fulfilled. The process is the refinery. And the refinery is the furnace the Lord uses to remove impurities from your character and person, should you give your will to it, so that what remains is what God desires. Do you catch that? The refinery is the furnace the Lord uses to remove impurities from your heart, from your character, from your person, from your soul, should you give your will to it, so that what remains is what God desires. So in the book of Malachi, Malachi, the prophet, is, is speaking, he's preaching, he's prophesying to Jews and to Israelites who have resettled in Judea after their return from the Babylonian exile. God had directed them to rebuild and restore the second temple, and after they were finished, they had devoted themselves to the Lord, and they had devoted themselves against um, pagan idolatry. But over time, once again, they rebelled, and they gave into their sin and lost sight of the Lord. And so Malachi is revealing the spiritual and moral shortcomings of both the people and the priests. Tithing was neglected, if you read. Divorce had become very common. Mixed marriages with pagan peoples were more apparent. These were serious problems. The priests were offering impure sacrifices. And God said that he was going to come in and remove, remove impurities from his holy place, just like they would discard animal waste. And then in Malachi 3, we get this prophecy of the coming of John the Baptist. That's the messenger that Malachi says, the coming of John the Baptist, and then ultimately of Jesus, and here he's referred to as this refining fire that comes to purify. It says, for he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Now notice he's not called the forest fire that destroys everything in its path. He's not an incinerator that consumes completely, although the Lord is called elsewhere a consuming fire. Here, he's referred to as a refiner's fire. A refiner's fire does not consume completely. A refiner's fire does not destroy everything in its path. A refiner's fire 
purifies. But it's important to note, it's still fire. Fire is serious. The process to becoming who God wants us to be, to becoming pure and holy, will always have dread in it. There's always a fear and trembling in the process of becoming pure. That's pure. That's why the scriptures in the New Testament will tell us to work out work out our salvation with fear and trembling as the Lord works in you. But this message that Malachi is giving is not a word of warning, it's one of hope. That when Jesus arrives, both at his advent, at his first coming, and his second coming, he's coming again, just in case you forgot. We forget that, I think, in the church. We're all talking about where we're going to go when we die. But we're forgetting what the, what the scriptures reveal, that he's returning to usher in eternity. And when he comes back again, when Jesus came back the first time, when he comes back again, he comes to refine us. That's what Jesus does in our lives. He refines. If you have Christ in your life, there is a refining work that is happening in you. If the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in you, there is a refining work happening in you. That is what the Lord Jesus does. He is a refining fire. And you cannot have the Lord Jesus in your heart. You cannot have the Holy Spirit of God in your life without that refining process happening. And it will happen, church, until the day he returns. You are not complete. You have not arrived. And if you think you have, I'm sorry, but maybe the fire has gone out. If you think I'm good and Jesus is done with me, you are mistaken and your fire has dwindled. The passion is no longer there. You need to stoke the fire and fan the flame once again. I believe that's what the Lord is doing in our church. Jesus comes as a refiner. He doesn't just want you to come as you are. He doesn't just accept you as you are and tolerate your sin. That's a, that's a poor interpretation of Scripture. In His grace, He welcomes you as you are, and as you come, He makes you like Himself, every single one of us. Come as you are and become like me. His end goal is to shape you, your person, and your character. Now, refining is the process of heating up metals to burn away the impurities, so that what remains is pure metal. 14 karat gold means 14 parts out of 24 parts are pure, and 10 parts are impure. So to purify gold, I'm not a goldsmith, but I Googled this stuff. <laughs> More or less, the process goes like this. You grind the gold down. You throw it into some sort of furnace fire. The fire is turned up to 2,000 plus degrees. And as the heat increases, impurities rise to the surface. Things you didn't know were there before. Things you couldn't see before. Things you didn't think were there. And as the impurities rise, you can scrape them away so what is left is pure gold. Continuing that metaphor... The refined fire of God can often have a couple forms, though mainly one, and it's the fire of affliction. Pain, hardship, 
difficulty, challenges, suffering, trials, call them what you are, they're furnace fire. First Peter chapter 1, Peter says it like this in verse 6 and 7. It says, now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor, when Jesus Christ is revealed. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4, we know this one well. Consider it a pure joy. I think it will be on the screen there for you. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, meaning there's a possibility it won't finish it because of what you do. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I think it's important to know that the testing of our faith by God is not how we consider testing. You know, at least when I think of the word test, I think of an exam that's being marked or graded. But God is not sitting there with a marking sheet to see what level of faith we have. Let's put you through some testing to see what level of faith you have. The testing of God is a refinery where he uses trials to burn away what shouldn't be there. It's totally different. Right? One is a professor that says, let's see what your skill knowledge is. One is a loving, merciful God who says, I'm going to put you through some difficulties so I can get rid of stuff that shouldn't be. That's the testing of God. It's God's mercy where he allows us to come into affliction so we can see what's inside of us. Things that are invisible to us but always visible to God. It's a mercy. Keeping in mind the the refiner's fire does not consume. Right? It does not destroy. It makes pure. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 to 18, Paul said this. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. You know, we like to quote this one often. And we kind of say, you know, I remember as a kid singing this. But listen to this, imagining yourself going through suffering and difficulty and trial. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Now, note, note that Paul was one, as he ministered the gospel, who was he was quite literally persecuted. He was whipped. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was put in prison. And he says this. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise 
us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, which is ironic for him to say considering what he's gone through. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is, not what it, on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and they let us see what we're made of. You know, when God has given us free will, and the only way to transform agents of free will is to allow circumstances to happen so we can see what's inside of us and make decisions to change. And we can't change the circumstances, unfortunately, but we can change our reaction, our attitude, our character, our heart, what comes out of us in the midst of those trials. Now, here's the rub, right? When you come into any affliction, you come into any sort of suffering, small or large, what you do with it will determine the degree of your refining. You can blame others. You can blame your spouse. You can blame your kids. You can blame your family. You can blame your friends. You can blame your pastor. You can even blame God. And all those impurities will go back down. Will sink into your heart. Or you can humble yourself, own your character in it, and bring it to the Lord in repentance. Now, repentance isn't confession, right? Repentance isn't just, oh, I'm, I'm this. Repentance is a change of thinking. It's renewing our mind. And so to repent means this is what is in me. I need to now turn from this and make changes. So we bring our impurities before the Lord in repentance as we are in affliction, and he skims them off the top. He takes them off of our heart. So what is left is pure. That's important to note in this discussion that God isn't the author of suffering and affliction and hardship in the sense that he designed it and he made it. It's wrong and it's an error to say that God did this to me or God made this happen. God allows suffering to occur to be a refining for us. But suffering is the result of living in a fallen, broken world that has been impacted by sin. When Adam and Eve first sinned, and we have all now been given this sinful nature, the world has been corrupted by sin, and we live in that. We live in a fallen, broken world. And the answer to that is the inauguration of God's kingdom that came through Jesus' life, teaching, death, and resurrection, and will, and will be finalized and, and bring to fulfillment at His return. But it's important to note that he's not the author of suffering. He allows suffering to occur. It's also important to note that while sometimes we can see why things happen, sometimes we don't know why. 
And the story of Job illustrates this well, if you remember Job's story. Satan approached God, and God offered him Job to test his faith. Job experienced great hardship, lost his family, his wealth, his health. And in the end, God restores it all and more, but he never understands, or is never privy to the reason why. This conversation that happens in the spiritual unseen realm between God and Satan. God allows this suffering to happen to Job for his own glory. And Job never knows. This is what Job says in Job 23. He says, but if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Peter had a similar experience. The Apostle Peter, before Jesus would be arrested and tried, he would deny Jesus three times, and Jesus warns him that he would deny him and that this was Satan's doing and God's allowing. It says this in Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So what's happening there, Satan goes and has a little conversation with the Lord. Says, I want to sift them, the disciples. Let's see how much faith they have. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, I told him no. Peter, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. Don't worry, though. We said, no way, Jose. Got your back. Buddy Jesus, right? Doesn't happen. It says, Satan's asked to sift you all like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fall. So what happens? God allowed it to happen. Yeah, okay, Satan, go ahead. Go ahead. And I will use this as a refining work in my, in my men as they begin the journey of leading the church. Affliction brings to the surface things that are in us we didn't know were there. And it's there that we come to the Lord with it and wait on Him. You know, I think the clearest example of, of this refining work that God does is found in the story of Joseph. Joseph's trials refined him. God gives this young man a dream as a teenager. He's 17 years old. He has a dream. God's going to make him into a leader and his brothers and his, his father would bow down and bow down to him. He's got this vision for his future. Now, Joseph in his pride goes and he brags about it, right, to his brothers and to his father, which is a foolish move. Hey, God gave me a vision. And guess what? You're all bowing down to me. Now, if God made him the leader right there, you'd have a very egotistical leader, very prideful leader. So his brothers, in his anger, in their anger, sell him into slavery, which strips him of all future hope. There goes that dream. Slavery, you're lost. You're, you're property now. You're not even a person. Now, God didn't author that so that this refining could happen. Right? God knew the heart of the brothers and knew that through the circumstances these things would happen. And his foreknowledge knew and so allowed those things to occur so that Joseph would be put in this position. 
The next 13 years of Joseph's life, he's in slavery and he's in imprisonment. He doesn't see God's faithfulness. No dreams, no pictures, no promises, no interaction, no intervention, no nothing. Yet we see Joseph still acting in character and faithfulness. First, he's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's the captain of Pharaoh's guard. God blesses him there, the scriptures say, so he's profitable. Potiphar's wife, if you remember the story, gets the hots for Joseph, and every day she tempts him to sleep with her. Joseph does what any man should do when temptation like that comes. He flees. He doesn't just entertain the idea. Just so you know, men, women, anybody, you're going to lose the battle if you entertain it for a moment. Like the perfect example of Joseph, like he quite literally drops his, his nice coat like, no way, not worth it, and he flees. New Testament will say flee from temptation. So he flees, and, and she gets angry and falsely accuses him of rape, and so he gets thrown in prison. Wow, kick me while I'm down, why don't you? First, I'm a slave, and I'm doing okay here, thankfully, I guess, and now I'm in prison. Now, Egyptians prisons, Egyptian prisons were brutal. They were often underground, they were damp, there was no sunlight, there was low ceilings, you probably couldn't stand up, you were fed just enough to survive, not the best place to be. Now it's been about 11 years since Joseph had the dream, the promise, and he's sold into slavery by his brothers. Two men get thrown into prison with him, a baker and a cupbearer, servants of Pharaoh, and both have dreams. And Joseph, who hasn't seen God's faithfulness in a decade, interprets the dreams by the Lord. He says, don't the interpretations of dreams belong to the Lord? He interprets the dreams. The baker gets the death penalty, unfortunately. The cupbearer gets restored, and he says to the cupbearer, remember me. And he forgets. Two more years go by. Two more years go by. Pharaoh has a dream, and the cupbearer remembers Joseph, says, I remember a guy who interpreted a dream for me once. So he gets Joseph, Joseph comes, he interprets the dream, he gets released, and he gets promoted to be in charge of making sure the land would have provisions for the famine that's about to come. It's 13 years now after the dream, and his brother sold him into slavery. 13 years. But wait, there's more. In the dream and in the, the interpretation, God says there'll be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So for seven years, Joseph stores up for the land food. Seven years, seven plus 13 is 20. It's been two decades now, 20 years. Brothers don't show up for two more years. Two years into the famine, they show up looking for food. The dream is finally fulfilled. 22 years of trial, 22 years of enduring. You know, we're upset when we don't hear from the Lord after a few weeks. I'm crying out to the God this week, have mercy on me, and I've been sick for 10 days. Two decades of experiencing difficulty and short, shortcomings. But it's then and only then he's got the character that the nation needed and God required to fulfill the promise. And at the end of the story, Joseph has this beautiful line. 
that he says to the brothers, he makes this statement. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, refining. I invite the worship team to come back. Malachi chapter 3, verse 3 says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. The story goes of a woman visiting a silversmith's shop. The woman watched the silversmith as he held a piece of silver over the fire and he let it heat up. She then began to ask him questions, and he began to explain that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest in order to burn away all the impurities. She then asked the silversmith if, if it's true that, she, that he had to sit in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. The man answered yes, that not only did he have to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time they were in the flame. Because if the silver was left in a moment too long in those hot flames, it would burn up and be gone. When the Lord allows us to go through those refining trials, those fiery furnace, times of affliction and suffering, He doesn't leave you He sits and he watches over you diligently so that you do not burn up. Like you think and we think often the Lord leaves us. Where are you? Job cries. Go the north, you're not there. The east, the west, the south. Where is the Lord? Where are you? And he's sitting there watching you. It's like if I take my eyes off you for a moment in this moment, you'll be gone. But I sit and I watch. This is what it says in verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you are not consumed. And the beautiful part about that statement that God gives us in Malachi here is in Deuteronomy and in Hebrews, he's called a consuming fire. But he says to his people whom he loves He says, you are not consumed. I sit and I watch like a refiner of silver because I'm trying to produce in you something. I want something more of you. I want want to see myself in you. And I see that it's there, and so I allow these circumstances and these difficulties and these hardships to happen in your life so that the impurities can be burnt off and you can become exactly who I intended you to be. It's there. And so I sit and I watch. Where are you, God? I'm right here in the fire with you. Why was there a fourth man in the fire in the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're thrown into the furnace? Because he's with us in the fire. That's who the Lord is. He doesn't toss you in affliction and say, good luck. Hope you make it. No, he says, I see something in you. I see purity in you. I see goodness in you. I see what what can become 
from this. And so I'm going to allow this to occur. And it's going to be hot and it's going to be painful. But if you work with me, what will be produced in you will be to my glory. So the woman, silent for a moment, she asked the silversmith, well, how do you know when the silver is refined? And he smiled at her and he answered, when I see my own image in it. That's the goal of the Lord, to see himself in you. To see himself in us. And I believe the Lord has a lot of us already in a furnace. Some of you are in the furnace. Some of you are already facing fires of affliction. The Lord is near you. He watches over you. Sits with you to make sure you're not consumed. You may feel like you're being sifted like wheat. The enemy's attacks may be strong, but the Lord has not allowed this without purpose. Lean on him. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Jody had this verse running through her mind over the course of the last few weeks. And as we thought about the verse, we thought it was for what our house was experiencing the last couple weeks. But as we were talking about it and talking about today and this, this word, we thought it fit well for those who are facing affliction. It comes from Psalms 27. I invite you to stand, actually, as I read it. It comes from Psalms 27. Verse 7 all the way to 14. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. So I've it in my heart for us to pray and wait on the Lord and worship. And maybe you're here this morning and you're going through some fire of affliction. You're, going, you're in a furnace. You're in a situation, a circumstance, and it's difficult and it's hard. If you know the Lord, you're here and you know the Lord, I want to invite you to come to the front and find a place as we worship and wait on the Lord. I want you to come for the purpose of just finding renewed strength in that journey. Yeah, you can come now. And we're going to worship together. I'm going to pray that, that God would renew our strength. And that we would find hope in the Lord. And for all of us as a church, this word that God's given us, refined. We're actually, if we've, we've ordered a banner, we're going to put a banner right up across here.
to remind us over the year God's refining work. But for the rest of us, will we just call on the Lord for our church even now and on our church for this year? Let's just, let's just begin to sing this now. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.